0: Your life is going nowhere. You have nothing. You've got nobody. No hope. No future. And then, on a completely empty road, you find a wallet stuffed with somebody's life savings. No one will catch you. No one will ever know. Welcome to CreepyCast where heavy-handed morality is thrown into a bucket of ugh and given a good stir. If you like that kind of thing, feel free to leave me a gushing review on iTunes or wherever you want, anywhere at all. Today's story, Fairy Fort, is a direct ancestor of my 2016 novel, The Call. For the first time, Instead of inventing monsters for my stories, I dipped into the culture of Ireland. I was inspired by a book by a guy called Joe McGowan. The book was called Echoes of a Savage Land, and it was full of lots of the traditions and history of County Sligo and other parts of Ireland. And I was really excited by it. I really wanted to put some of that stuff in my fiction. And the result? Well, I have to warn you now, it's a little bit gory. So if anybody feels like dropping out, go right ahead. I swear I won't tell your mammies on you. Fairy Fort. I would prefer, I said, if we fought it out like two men, like the king and the kaiser. Kevin and I leaned on each other. Neither of us. "'had drunk before, "'but we had earned a month's wages "'and had spent the money "'as wisely as our mothers would have feared. "'Oh, I'm sure you would, Poddy!' "'Kevin's splotchy face "'spun slowly in my vision. "'You're twice the size of me. "'This way is more fair.' "'And in the whisky haze, "'it all made sense.' The braver of the two would ask Peggy to dance at the end of harvest. The coward would renounce all interest in her. The moon hung low in the sky, illuminating the mound. Fruit trees grew on top of it, but neither man nor bird had touched them. We called such mounds lis is fairy forts. They cover the Irish countryside and no farmer will dare to put them to the plough. But my heart beat steadily and unafraid. Where's the music? asked Kevin and stamped his feet. Stupid stories. No dancers. It's all just old folk superstitions like the priests say. He turned to go but I held him fast. My heart quickened. Thump, thump, thump. Who has the fear on him now? I asked. My English was poor, despite years away from the Gaelic-speaking part of Ireland I called home. Is it me that has the win? There's nothing there, poddy. Use your eyes. But I held him fast. Although Protestant and therefore above peasant beliefs. The farmer had built a stout fence around the mound to keep his beasts off. He had gone to the expense of hammering iron nails closely together around the top of the wood so that the head of each nail touched its neighbour and formed an unbroken ring. We looked each other in the eye, and it was like being friends again like we had never seen Peggy Man. The moment ended. Kevin climbed the fence and I matched him step for step, feeling the rough grain of the wood, the chill of the iron nails. We landed together on the far side and suddenly we could hear the music, wild and beautiful, Played faster than mortal hands could dream of. I gasped. The hill had changed. It had become larger and steeper. More trees grew there now. And at the top, figures danced, kicking and leaping. Their feet tapped the ground so hard we could feel the rhythm thump, thump, thump in our own bodies. Kevin gripped my hand. I did not shake him off for a coward. I wanted to run too. My my heart wanted it. I felt it like a faithful dog in my breast, dragging me backwards and whining. Then Kevin let me go and began crawling up the slope. If I stayed behind now, I would have to stay behind at the harvest dance too. So I followed, clinging to the cover of the bushes. Now, I could see the dancers, although not the musicians. Men and women of perfect form, giving every appearance of joy. Kevin's feet were tapping, and I realised my own were doing the same. I had danced, every winter of my life, and had always loved it. The she smiled widely and glowed with sweat. Dawn was near. The dance must have gone on all night. Some, like a blonde girl in a squirrel fur kilt, looked exhausted, but never faltered in step or smile. I felt terrible staring at her bare limbs, but could not take my eyes away. Beautiful, I thought. Beautiful, I longed to join her, to forget for a while my life of toil. Until, one of the dancers switched partners, and I saw his empty eyes, large and glassy like a dead Bulls. I shivered and began moving backwards down the hill, keeping my eyes on the she. And then the blonde girl stumbled. The music halted and dancers froze. Nobody stopped smiling, not even the girl. Then all of them ran at her and flung themselves upon her and clamped their mouths to any part of her body they could find. No! I screamed. What possessed me? I ran forward, and Kevin, every bit as drunk and stupid, joined me. I lifted bodies up by their scruffs and flung them away, their smiling faces now bloody. Holes the size of my fist covered the blonde girl's body. She had stumps for legs and one of her arms lay chewed to the bone like an apple. Worst of all was the fact that even when the rest of the she had pulled away, she continued to worry gobbets of flesh from her own shoulder. Nā jīn shīn, I blurted, too shocked to remember my English. It meant, stop that. Pawdy Kevin screamed. I turned to see a half-dozen she leap upon him. A sharp pain ripped through my calf. What was left of the blonde girl was sinking its teeth into me, and others joined her, lots of others, biting hard with their blunt little teeth, each bite burning like the fires of hell. I flung them off me and started rolling down the hill. Ferns slapped me in the face. Gorse ripped at my skin and the remains of my clothes. I had to keep rolling at any cost. I hit the base of a birch and stopped. I looked up, thinking to see my death, but instead I saw the dawn. I used the trunk of the birch to help me to my feet. The great hill they had danced upon had shrunk back to the size of a mound. Little red marks, no bigger than the bite you would get from a horsefly, covered my hands. I felt woozy and wondered if the whiskey that had brought me here had planted dreams in my head too. Kevin? I found him, curled into a ball and weeping. Dried blood covered his clothes. But he too seemed unhurt when I pulled him. They tried to drag me in there, he said, pointing to a rabbit hole. It was big as a tunnel until the sun came up. We helped each other over the fence. And you would think... That would be the end of it, that we would have learned our lesson. The following night, around the fire, with old Mahon torturing the fiddle, the younger Mahon talked up a storm. Why should we do their fighting for them? He waved a clay pipe towards the Protestant farm. The Kaisers never done us no harm, but them English. We all know what they done for us. Murmurs of agreement. I kept out of the discussion. I lay on my back, chewing a stalk. I'd worked two full days, with only a night of terror between them to rest. It was back-breaking work too, cutting rye with a sickle and piling it into stooks to keep it dry. Every muscle ached, and I wished I would more of last night's whisky to soothe the pain and the thought that an endless succession of such days stood between me and my grave. Peggy Mahon bent close to her father with a mug. Blonde hair fell over her face and reminded me of the fairy dancer the others had attacked and all but eaten. Her left hand carried tea for her father, her right held the old rosary that never left her sight. God protect you, Peggy Mann, I whispered. And if he won't, I will. I suspected. Kevin lay in the darkness nearby, plotting his own way into her heart, and I wondered if our friendship could ever be mended. Fresh lines creased Peggy's brow. I dreamed I could smooth them away, that I, poddy, from the back of beyonds, with no land of my own and only broken English, could one day stand with her before a priest. In the firelight, my mind drifted, and I imagined... She might kiss me. Abruptly, Peggy straightened. She strode over to my side and knelt down next to me. Before I could sputter, she pressed her lips to mine. Old Mahan gasped, Peggy! A look of confusion crossed her face, followed swiftly by fright. Not again she whispered, and ran from the fire, with everybody staring after her. Old Mahan threw me an angry look. I didn't do a thing, I said. You'd better not, Poddy Sullivan. His voice rasped like an old millstone, or I'll have you out of here quicker than scour from a sheep's backside. He went into a huddle with his bewildered son and a few of the others. They probably couldn't understand how a religious girl could commit such a sin, and so publicly. I decided to sleep away from the camp until they cooled down. But I was the one who needed the cooling. My lips burned, and my heart beat even faster than it had when the she had attacked me. Her mouth, the the curve of her chin in the firelight, it tormented me. A hand grabbed my elbow as I moved away from the fire. I felt a moment of panic. It's me, you big lummock," laughed Kevin. Did you think the she had come back for you? They might as well, now after what you just did with Peggy. You sound happy about it. I think you want old Mahon to send me home. He knew how to hurt me, my ex-friend. You should have kissed her out of sight of the others when you knew you could, like I did. I kissed her first. What do you mean? And then I remembered how Peggy had exclaimed, Not again. Oh, you know my meaning, Poddy. His eyes glinted in the moonlight. So easy it is. I was after taking a little rest behind the cart and <laughs> I just, I don't know, I just called her to me. I touched her chest. No wonder Peggy had seemed so upset earlier. I flung myself upon him. Poor Peggy. I punched him a few times in the ribs before he wriggled away. I ran after him to hit him some more but stopped when I saw he was crying. I know I did wrong, he said. But what chance do I have with the likes of Peggy Mahon? Beautiful and and kind. He sat down on an overturned bucket, and I moved to stand beside him. One kiss, he said. One kiss in my whole life. It was over in a minute, but... He had no need to finish the sentence. Not for me, who felt the same. When I saw you kiss her too, he continued, I wanted to kill you. But then, but then I knew you would never be able to do it again, and so. Wait, I said. How did you know I wouldn't be able to do it once more? How could you know that? But when he wouldn't look me in the eye, I realised he must have tried again and again to make her come to him after that first time. I didn't want to hit him any anymore, so I left. I tossed for a while. I tried not to imagine Peggy coming to me in the night, and then I begged God's forgiveness, because I couldn't stop doing it. Did the she feel guilt when they took what they needed? God must have heeded my prayers, for I fell asleep, all alone, on the far side of the byre. Nearby fields held a rival team labouring just as hard as we. Everybody knew the terrible luck that befell the last group in a district to finish the harvest. So we had to work harder now, faster. Backs crooked and in such pain we feared they would never straighten again. Stroke after stroke of the sickle. Three handfuls of grain to the sheaf. Ten sheaves to the stook and the blistering sun watching all without mercy. Peggy came from time to time with a punger of cold tea. She always seemed to miss me, although... I knew exactly where she stood in the field without even looking. Kevin went thirsty too. I can't stand it, he whispered. She won't even look at me. With your face so spotted, I said, sure tis no wonder. Shut up, said Kevin, just shut up. Back to work, you two, shouted old Mahon from the far side of the field. Ten minutes more and we're done here but it was already too late whoops erupted from a neighbouring field and laughter a voice called over the hedgerow mahan me boyo mahan we're after chasing her over the hedgerow by her he meant the bad luck you hear me mahan we're after chasing her over to ye. many of our gang flopped to the ground what do I care, Kevin spat. Sure wasn't I born with bad luck already wrapped round me neck. I'll tell you this, Paddy Sullivan. I've had enough of it. You can't do nothing for it, I said. Are you sure about that, said he. He straightened and waved his sickle at me, a shocking breach of manners that could get you thrown off a team. I'll have that woman, he said. And not God, nor the saints, nor old Mahon himself will stop me. The gang acted even colder towards me that evening, especially Peggy, as if it was me that had lost them a year's good luck. Maybe old Mahon would give me my marching orders the next day, and that would be that. No money for the winter. I was sorry now to have spent the little I'd had on whisky. I slept alone again, tortured with the idea that I would leave Peggy with hatred in her heart. I tossed in my blanket. I wondered what would happen if I explained the whole mad thing to her. She might forgive me. She might... dared I dream it? She might confess a love for me too. Madness, of course but her lips had been so soft. Maybe, maybe the magic had only freed her to do what was already in her heart. I decided to risk it. I left my blanket and moved around the byre. The Protestant dogs came sniffing after me, wagging their tails. I'd made friends with them early on, and they rewarded me now with licks licks. And silence. I could see blanket-wrapped bodies in the light of the embers, but I could not tell which was Peggy. What if old Mahan woke as I picked my way among them? Or worse, what if Peggy called out in fright? While I struggled to come up with a plan, the dogs began hopping with excitement. A figure was moving away from the camp towards the fields. I knew that shape, that mincing walk. Kevin! But what could he be up to? His form crossed the first field, heading north, towards the fairy fort. I hid my blanket and tools beneath bushes at the base of a wall. Then I followed his purposeful form over dry stone walls for two more fields, until he stood at the fence around the Lys. Now he hesitated. I saw him get to his knees as if to pray, but then he shook his head and stood again. He put something heavy in his pocket and climbed the fence as though it were a mile high and made of sickle blades. I knew how he felt. The terror of the fairy fort already gripped me. I caught up with him as he perched at the top, shaking like a leaf. He nearly jumped out of his skin when I grabbed his arm. This is madness, Kevin, I said. Then why did you follow me, Pawdy Sullivan? So bright shone the moon, I could see his face as clear as carrots on my spoon. We were only in their presence for a minute, he said. And a minute is how long Peggy wanted me. You will not live this time, Kevin, I said. And you think you will, Poddy? I didn't come here for that, Kevin. It's wrong, that kind of power. It's not like Peggy wanted. But he wasn't listening. Well, I don't care if they kill me, you hear? Better I never kissed her. But I did kiss her. And I won't live without that feeling again. His sweat gleamed in the moonlight. I knew how he felt and tried to lay a comforting hand on his elbow but he shook me off. You're worse than I am, Paddy Sullivan. You pretend you have honour and religion but they're no deeper in you than the scum on boiling porridge. May God strike me dead if I live to see Peggy Mahan in your hands. With that, he leapt to the other side of the fence. I knew then that if I stayed behind, either he would die, and die in sin, or worse, Kevin would be the one to taste Peggy's kisses, and I the one to live without. My limbs shook as I climbed the fence. As soon as I set foot on the far side, the music began. "'and trees that had been mere bushes became mighty oaks. "'God save me and guard me,' I whispered. "'But I knew that by my own will "'I had stepped beyond his reach. "'I moved up the hill in search of Kevin. "'The music grew ever wilder and more beautiful. "'Halfway, I espied leaping shadows that turned my tongue to a dry lump of old oat cake in my mouth. There seemed not enough air in all the world to fill my heaving chest. I wanted to turn back, but I glimpsed Kevin some way ahead, fondling something in his pocket. A rosary, I wondered. Much good it could do him in a place like this. I stumbled after him. Soon I was close enough to see the she at their graceful, grinning dance. Kevin moved behind a tree, and I behind a bush no more than five yards to his left, both of us closer to the dancers than to each other. I couldn't move to him without crossing open space, nor could I call out, though I heard breathing even more ragged than my own, which I thought came from him. I tried to wave to him, but he had eyes only for the dancers. Kevin pressed his forehead against the trunk of the tree. The ragged breathing grew louder. I heard it, even though his lips were pressed together. Could it be coming from someone else? Then, He stepped into the clearing and the music stopped. He took a shiny new horseshoe from his pocket and raised it over his head. The she seemed to freeze. Now, said Kevin, voice shaky, now we'll see how you like my iron, yeah? They pulled back, grins gone, black eyes fixed on the horseshoe. Ye have something I want. Not your gold. Ye can keep that. They stepped farther back as he advanced to the centre of the clearing at the summit of the hill. Some of them moved to the edges. I heard the ragged breathing again in the undergrowth but no matter how I looked I couldn't find its source. My eyes "'turned back to Kevin. "'I'll not burn ye with my iron "'if I get some magic, ye hear?' "'Kevin had always been smarter than me, "'but now he revealed himself to be braver too, "'brave enough to win the greatest prize of all. "'The she had pulled around in an arc. "'I feared they would spot me "'or hear the terrible breathing nearby.' But all continued to stare at Kevin. Beautiful women with dainty features. Handsome youths, staring, staring. Some with mouths agape. Some with strands of saliva dribbling down their chins like threads of moon-drunk silver. In moments, a full circle would form about my friend. I wanted to run. I would run. But first, first I would call out a warning that might give him a chance to flee before the circle closed. The breathing stopped. I opened my mouth to shout at him. Instead, I screamed. Claws tore into my calf and I fell to my knees while some creature behind me slobbered and bit. I reached back almost fainting with the pain, all spines and fire. In the distance, I heard Kevin cursing and shouting. Sounds of frenzy filled the glade. My hands fixed on a neck and squeezed. I pulled the beast away, feeling a chunk of my flesh tear with it. I swung the thing around to smash it against a nearby trunk and stopped. I recognised her blonde hair. The other she had eaten parts of her face and one of her arms. Her body ended at the ribs, the last of which lay exposed and alive with maggots. Her chest heaved for breath. She fixed me with her remaining eye and wheezed, L hall ahirna. please, Lord. It meant in my language, Gaelic, the speech of old people and yokels. What do you want of me? I asked in the same tongue. Her lips were smeared with my blood, Fiol she replied, that meant meat. I threw her from me and turned to flee. But a dozen of the she had appeared on the hill beneath me. The music began again, and they took to grinning as they drove me to the top. I could hear Kevin weeping, and hope filled my heart. Together, maybe. Together we could make a stand. But I arrived in time to see him dragged, feet first into a burrow, little wider than his body. All they left behind was his hand, chewed off at the wrist, still clutching the horseshoe. The iron had hurt them. Gashed and smoking bodies lay scattered all around it. I moved to retrieve it, but a princess lovelier than Peggy Mahan would ever be, blocked my path. Others followed, until I stood alone in a circle of grinning she with only the music for comfort. I could feel blood ooze from the back of my leg and sweat drenched my brow. Some of the she... Bore injuries worse than mine from Kevin's iron, limp arms and legs where the bones shone through. They all looked hungry. I grinned at them. What else could I do? Then I laughed and began dancing in time to the music as my mother had taught me. The grins of the she widened. Perhaps this was what they had always wanted from me. I leapt into the air, arms perfectly by my side. I spun and capered, fighting exhaustion, fighting the pain of every landing on my injured leg. Then they joined in all of them at once, even the wounded. Hours seemed to pass. I never felt more alive, more beautiful. I was one of them, truly one of them. At times, my gaze met that of a fairy princess who promised things Peggy Mahon couldn't even name. And I wanted those things, more than anything, more than I wanted a lifetime of toil with every Sunday on my knees. The moon lowered in the sky, and then one of the injured ones gasped and collapsed. The others fell on him and began to feed. I woke on the small mound, with blood on my lips and tatters of flesh between my teeth. I swallowed them. I would live from now on as the fairies did, free of saints and shame. The dogs whined and fled from me when I came to collect my blanket. Only man and Peggy watched me go. He, with a frown, she with bowed head and rosary. Good riddance, he shouted after me. My daughter wants no part of ye. I laughed and skipped down the road. I stopped in the shade of an apple tree where, after an hour, Peggy joined me, her possessions all packed up in a blanket of her own. Later, tangled in that same blanket, She asked me if I was as surprised as she was that she had chosen to run away with me. Not at all, I said with a yawn. It is just as I imagined it. Her plain, merely human face already bored me. Soon, I promised myself. Soon. I would take her dancing. The end. Well, that's the end of episode five. I hope you liked it. And if you did, I hope you'll tell a friend. And if you didn't, uh, I hope you'll tell a friend that you liked it anyway. A big lie. A big dirty, dirty lie. But in a good cause. I'll probably do at least one more episode of this podcast maybe three more and then we'll see thanks a million until the next time, take care